may be seated. Our passage this morning is found in Proverbs chapter 9. We will be looking at verses 1 through 6, and then in verses 13 through 18. It can be found on page 533 in the Pew Bibles. Proverbs chapter 9, verses 1 through 6, and 13 through 18. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She also has set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Verse 13, the woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, and that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Together let us go before the Lord to ask his wisdom as we seek to understand his word. Father God, we thank you for your greatness. God, we thank you for your son in whom we can truly rest. And God, now as we open your word, we pray that you would lead us into all truths, that you would give us great insight into knowledge, into the feast that is spread before us, the feast of wisdom, that we would see it, that we would crave it, that we would desire it, and that we we would leave all other feasts behind. We ask that you would be glorified in Christ's name. Amen. If you know anything about the Lord of the Rings, you know it is a story filled with food and feasts. It is not simply all magic rings, wizards, orcs, and elves. Nearly everyone on Middle-earth Earth fancies festal gatherings. There's singing, there's laughter, there is merriment abounding. The Hobbit, the first of them, begins with the feast of dwarves at the home of Bilbo. Again, there's lots of food, there's singing, it is a joyful time. The Lord of the Rings itself, its trilogy, opens with a party in Bilbo's honor for his 111th birthday. It seems that J.R. Tolkien, the author, believed in the value of people coming together for food and for fellowship. One of the dwarves from The Hobbit, as if speaking for Tolkien himself, says, If more of us valued food and cheer and song above hoarded gold, it would be a merrier world. Feasting is such a big part of Tolkien's classic adventure that many seek to bring these feasts, the feasts of Middle-earth, into the real world. Enter Hobbiton, New Zealand, if you're not familiar. It is a hotel based upon the Shire, meant to look like the home of the Hobbits. It allows guests to experience the Shire as if they were one of the Hobbits. The accommodations include rooming in an actual hobbit hole. Some of you that might sound pleasant, some of you that might sound the worst thing possible. And most appealing is the hobbit banquet provided at the Green Dragon Inn. For four hours, guests can feast like a hobbit. 
There was one such thrill seeker who wrote it this way. This is the feast at the Green Dragon Inn. She says, you are treated to a specially brewed ale or ginger beer. Then everyone gathers behind the curtain for the big reveal of the feast in the main dining hall. It is what is probably the biggest feast you'll ever see. It is so extravagant. The long wooden candlelit tables are covered in elaborate dishes, from slow-cooked lamb shanks to bubbling pan of Cumberland sausages, freshly cooked salmon steaks, and golden roast chickens doused in glistening gravy. Now that you are all probably hungry and now thinking about lunch, we come to Proverbs chapter 9. While certainly not as descriptive, this text depicts invitations to two rival feasts. On the one side, there is feasting in the house of wisdom. That's in verses 1 through 6. And on the other side, at the end of the chapter, is feasting in the house of folly. And everything from Proverbs 1 through 8 has led up to this point. This picture of two rival feasts. If you remember, as we've studied Proverbs 8 in particular, this section, these first nine chapters, are Solomon writing words of wisdom as a father pleading with his son to love, to embrace wisdom. Chapter 9 is now the father's closing statement. It's the end of this first section. It's basically saying, the time has come, my son, for you to make a decision. There are two open invitations standing before you. One of them is from wisdom. One of them is from folly. Everything from this point forward is going to hinge upon which feast the son chooses. Should he accept the feast of wisdom, the following words in chapters 10 through 31, they will bring life, they will bring blessing to the son. However, if he should run after folly, if he should choose her feast, those same words will be a burden. They will be a daily source of frustration for him. These are the only two choices. Feast with wisdom, feast with folly. There's no third option. There's no third invitation to wait for. Either feast in the company of wisdom or feast in the company of folly. And this same choice lies before us today. The invitation is waiting for our response, and it will impact every area of our lives. So the question as we we enter into this text and as we leave it is, where will you feast? At the house of wisdom or the house of folly? Now, feasting or dining in the ancient world has more than just sharing of a meal. One commentator says to eat with someone is to form an intimate relationship with that person. The father knows this as he speaks these words to his son. And so he wants to accurately describe the two houses where these feasts will be held. And the two houses could not be any more different. These two sections, 1 through 6 and 13 through 18, they parallel one another. If you hold them side by side, they share a similar structure. And it is this structure that's going to help us distinguish between these two houses, these rival hosts. And the, the points you can see listed in your bulletin, there's a few changes. But we're going to look at, as we compare these two sections side by side, we will see that there are two different persons. We will see there are two distinct pleas. And we will see that there are two determined places. That's two different persons, two distinct pleas, and two determined places. And the hope for all of us is that by the end, you and I will accept wisdom's invitation to joyfully feast 
in her house. And we start with two different persons. We find that the hosts of these two feasts are complete opposites. They contrast one another in nearly every way possible. We see this if we, if we compare 1 through 3 and verses 13 through 15 together. And the first highlighted difference is wisdom is strong. She exudes strength. Folly, on the other hand, she is simple. Wisdom say, the father says that wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. We already know from Proverbs chapter 8 that wisdom is strong. She has made that abundantly clear in chapter 8. She was present before, during, and after creation. So it is not a shock for us then to hear that she has also built her own house. She has established it. It is strong. It is unshakable because it is firmly established upon the wisdom of God himself. It is akin to the, the house that Josh read for, read for us earlier from Matthew chapter 7. It is that house that can endure the storms, the rain, the winds, the constant beating. And it is also strong in that it has plenty of room in it. It says that there are seven pillars. A house with seven pillars is huge. It's massive. It is significantly large. It is spacious and it anticipates and is prepared for a crowd. Such a large house would draw our minds, hopefully, to Christ's comforting words to his disciples in John chapter 14, where he says, In my Father's house are many rooms. This is the first hint that we see that there is more to wisdom's house than simply meets the eye. Her house is more than just a house. Folly, on the other hand, she's not strong, she's simple. It says that she's loud, she's seductive, or literally she's full of simpleness. She knows nothing. Whereas wisdom's house reflects her strength, the father doesn't even address folly's house until the end. He holds that mystery till the very end. And instead, he now focuses on her character. And none of these descriptions, loud, seductive, knowing nothing, can be twisted into something positive. Folly is like a raging sea. She's unstable. She's moving every which way. She has nothing to guide her or keep her anchored. She is a rudderless boat. She is unfaithful. She has no morals. She has no values. Not to be crude, but the father pictures her as a wild beast. She cannot control her passions. She cannot control her desires. She lacks the wisdom to counter them. She's gullible, and she seeks out those who are just like her. Sounds like wonderful company, right? This is folly. She's wild. And sadly, many find their way into her company. But the second point of difference is between what wisdom does and where, what folly does. We see that wisdom is active, whereas folly is arrogant. This is how wisdom spends her time leading up to the feast. It says she slaughtered her beast. She has mixed her wine. She has set her table. Is there anything this woman doesn't do? Is the question we're left with. She is the stereotypical grandmother slaving away in the kitchen as the family waits for the meal. They're sitting in the living room. The smells of the food, the smells of the drink are pleasant. They're joyful. The atmosphere is inviting. It's welcoming people to come and to sit and to enjoy themselves. The table is 
is, is waiting to be filled with people, waiting to be filled with food. Wisdom is working hard for the sake of her guests. She wants them to enjoy themselves. She wants them to find nourishment. Folly, on the other hand, we see is filled with arrogance. In verse 14, we find that she sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat at the highest places of the town. Whereas wisdom works, folly sits. She is confident that she can get people to come by suggestively waiting at her door. This picture is, is folly dressed provocatively, enticing people who would pass by her door. She knows the appetites of the flesh, and so she seeks to appeal to them. And she's even made a throne for herself. That seat that she's taken is a seat of honor, but she's put herself on it. She paints herself as this wise sage. She paints herself as a leader whom people should come to to sit and hear her wisdom. And the last difference the father stresses is that wisdom is strategic, whereas folly is seductive. As the meal gets closer, wisdom, it says, sends out her young women to call from the highest places of the town. To ensure that guests will arrive, wisdom sends out her most loyal servants to call people in. She sends them into the very heart of the city where people are. And she seeks out those who seek to benefit from her feast, which is everyone. Her servants don't go out in seduction, they don't go out with a secret message. They go out as obedient disciples, calling people to come, to eat, and to learn. This sounds a lot like the kingdom parables that Jesus gives us in the Gospels. There's banquets prepared, there's feasts prepared, and there's invitations going out to the road, going out to the cities for people to come. And Jesus stresses that there's much to benefit from in attending these feasts. Likewise, there's much to lose in skipping out on them. But folly once again shows that she's seductive. Whereas wisdom sends out her, her servants to call people in, folly calls to those who pass by on the road. Those who are going straight on their way, she's calling out to them. She doesn't want to seek people out. She'd rather make catcalls from her porch. She's whistling at them seeking to draw their attention. She knows they're on the road to somewhere. She seeks to distract them to the road that leads to her house. She has no interest in the minds of her guests. She has no interest in their well-being. She's only after their bodies. While we didn't study it, if we were to flip back to Proverbs chapter 7, there's a picture that the father paints of the adulterous woman. That woman we see is, has a road that leads to her, that's close to her house. We see that that woman is loud. We see that that woman is seductive. And it is here where the father starts to pull back the veil on folly. She's not simply just a bad decision. She's not simply just a wrong way to go. She is the personification of adultery. She's the personification of idolatry. These two women represent fidelity and adultery. And that, that goes along with what feasting would also mean in the ancient world. It was not simply relational, it was also religious. The cults would have extravagant feasts in the name of their gods and their goddesses. And they would have, these feasts would be filled with all sorts of debauchery and other things. And that's what we see this picture of what folly is offering. 
But likewise, the people of God also had feasts. They had festivals that were given to the law. And these would be different. These would worship the true and faithful God. And we know that wisdom, as the Proverbs theme confesses, it is the fear of the Lord. It is reverence. It is true worship. Folly, on the other hand, it is idolatry. It is to despise and to turn aside from the Lord and from his word. And so the essence of this choice before us is more than just making better decisions. It's more than just bettering our lives. It is about who are we going to worship? Whose house will we feast in? A heart chasing after folly is one chasing idolatry. It seeks pleasure and satisfaction outside of God's design, whatever that arena might be. A heart seeking wisdom is one that is seeking the Lord himself. It pursues the pleasures that we read earlier are found only at the right hand of God. But not only are these feasts hosted by two different persons, these persons that reflect fidelity and idolatry, these invitations also come with two distinct pleas. Wisdom and folly both present convincing arguments for why their feast should be attended, why you should empty your calendar to come to their house. And in fact, the opening to their invitations are exactly the same. In verses 4 and 16, both women say, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, and then they get into their specific plea. But in this opening address, we can see that they are both addressing the simple, which is all of us. And this is the assumption throughout chapter 9. We are the simple. We are the gullible. We are the ones in need of instruction. We are the ones in need of guidance. We can't say we have no need of wisdom. That is the height of arrogance. We are not as wise as we think we are. We are not as stable as we think we are. We need help. And so both women offer help by saying, turn in here, come. There is an assumption that there's a path that you are on that needs to be turned from. But these similarities also demand for us to have caution. Because there's, there's a difference and it can be hard to distinguish between the two. However, from their identities, we know that both cannot be offering the same thing. One of them is a sheep in wolf's clothing. One of them is promising lies. And we see that distinction come out in verses 16 and 17. Because both women give us a picture of what repentance, what turning looks like. For wisdom, turning is to feast on what is pleasant. She says, come, eat of my bread. Drink of the wine I have mixed. We already know the food and the drink that wisdom has prepared is the fruit of her hard labor. We also know that it, cons it consists of far more than bread. There's meat, freshly slaughtered meat, flavored meat. There's wine, which is a picture of joy. It's a picture of plenty. And the point of all this is that her feast is good. It's good for the mind. It's good for the soul. It's good for the body. It's nourishing. It's delicious. It's a delight. Essentially, wisdom offers her guests nourishment in wisdom. She promises us an education. Unlike folly, wisdom wants the minds and the hearts of her guests. There's no seduction in their words. There's no secret meaning. There's no, there's no underlying motivation that she's getting at. Wisdom offers what she already has, as we've looked at in Proverbs chapter 8. But we also hear in wisdom 
the same plea that the Lord gave his people in Isaiah chapter 55. Listen to what the Lord told his people in Isaiah 55, 1 through 2. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. This is all of us here this morning. We are thirsty. We are hungry. We're tired. We're poor. The invitation of wisdom is that invitation to come, to eat, to drink. There's no hook. There's no fine print. A feast with wisdom is a feast on all that God offers and promises to his people. It is a feast that truly satisfies our deepest desires, our deepest longings. Through wisdom, the Lord invites us to himself. He invites us to delight in him, to receive from him. So might all of us this morning turn once again and receive what he has to offer. But for folly, repentance is feasting not on what is pleasant, it's feasting on what is perverse. She says, stolen water is sweet. Bread eaten in secret is pleasant. On the surface alone, her invitation should be troubling. Stealing is a direct violation of the Eighth Commandment. It forbids us from stealing anything. Secrecy connects with stealing. A good thief is not one who goes out in broad daylight and steals something. They do it under the cover of darkness. They do it in secrecy. Additionally, Folly's plea reveals her lack of food. Whereas wisdom's offering bread with meat and with wine, Folly offers water. She offers bread. There's nothing more. Her food is plain. It's simple. However, we have to be careful. It is also appealing and it's enticing because it speaks to our hearts. Our hearts crave the stolen. Our hearts crave the secret. Because our hearts are filled with sin. As Jeremiah tells us, they're desperately wicked. And so herein lies the draw, herein lies the draw of, of folly's feasts. Her invitation appeals to our sinful nature. Stolen water, secret bread, they're forbidden things. They're actually euphemisms for sensuality, for desire, which is folly's area of expertise. Her invitation is to indulge in the things that taste good for a moment. They bring immediate satisfaction. They bring immediate pleasure. They feel good. They're the same things that the adulterous woman offers in chapter 7. That woman promised pleasure under the cover of darkness and secrecy. She tells young men to come and steal that which belongs to someone else. Again, folly is not simply bad decisions. It's more than just ignorance. It is an invitation to feast upon sin. Because it tastes good. It is to indulge like Eve on that which is pleasing to the eye. And all of this is a constant danger to us. It isn't random that most New Testament writers implore Christ's followers to flee from sin, to avoid sin, to put it to death, to deny all sin. It is not to be played with, or in this context, context feasted upon. 
it's taste, it might taste good, but it's poison. And this also means for us to avoid the places where sin sits. Folly is sitting at her door, calling out to us to come. She's waiting for the young fools to walk by to see her, and without thinking twice, leave the path that they're on. Instead, we're called to feast on what is pleasant, not what is perverse. To feast on the rich fare of God's food found in his word, which we confess this morning that is sweeter than honey, even honey from the comb. It is alone this feast that can nourish and that can satisfy. And finally, after seeing that there's two different persons offering a feast and there's two different pleas to come to this feast, we see that there are two determined places where these feasts happen. And this is probably the greatest and the most jarring contrast between these two women and their feasts. And it is intentionally the father's last point of emphasis. This is where he's going to leave the son. He's going to leave him with, this is the two, these are the two places where you will end up. Pick which one. The person and plea of wisdom can only lead to one place. And we see that that is life. Her house is the entrance into life. She says, leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. We don't need to belabor this point. She gives us three commands. Leave, live, and walk. This is the path that leads to life, and this is the path, the place where joy can be found. Repent or turn, or turn from our ignorance, from our simplicity. It won't get us anywhere. Gain knowledge and instruction in the house of wisdom. Find life in the fare that wisdom provides. It is life that is pleasant, filled with blessing, as we've looked at in Proverbs chapter 8. It is the nourishing food found in the word of God. And then follow wisdom where she leads. That's the positive side of, of repentance. We turn from one thing and we follow something else. Walk in knowledge, in understanding, in truth, and in righteousness. And together these three, leave, live, and walk, they, they provide us with a progression, a litmus test for journeying on in the walk of wisdom. If we stray from the path, turn again. If life seems to wane, turn back to wisdom's good fare. It's good food. If we find ourselves lacking in direction, turn back to wisdom's lead. Life comes as we daily and continually feast in the house of wisdom as it's given to us in the word of God. We are guaranteed that time spent there will be nourishing. It will be satisfying. It will be good for our souls. And isn't this how we feel after a good feast? Our bellies are full. Our spirits are revived as we've enjoyed the company of those we've feasted with. And we know that this is the same promise that is given to us by Jesus himself. He, in John chapter 6, says, Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give to you. He says that he is the bread of life. Whoever comes to him shall not hunger. Whoever believes in him shall not thirst. He, God's true wisdom, offers satisfying and eternal life because he secured it by his sacrificial death and his victorious resurrection. Our desire to feast then in the house of wisdom should lead us to feast on the food that he graciously provides. And it also gives us a glimpse, a pointing forward of the feast that awaits all who are in Christ. The feast of the marriage supper of the Lamb where we will enjoy all the pleasures 
of being in the presence of God himself. So leave your simple ways and live. Walk in the way of insight. But oppositely, the person in the plea of wisdom can only lead to one place. If wisdom leads to life, folly leads to death. Her house is the entrance into death. The father gives us a rather horrific picture for the son. The feast of folly is populated. There are people sitting at the table. It is a full table. Unfortunately, it is a table of corpses. It is filled with the bodies of the simple, the gullible, the senseless, those who are feasting to the, to the folly of their own flesh. They indulge to their own peril. And again, referencing back to Proverbs 7, that is the end to visiting the house of the adulterous woman, death. Folly, if folly is the house of spiritual adultery and the house of idolatry, it makes perfect sense that it's full of dead bodies because sin always leads to death. Again, referencing the Lord of the Rings, this reveal is akin to what the fellowship finds, for those of you familiar, when they walk into the mines of Moria. The dwarf Gimli has been boasting about the feasts that are in these halls. He gets them excited because they're hungry, they're, tra- they're weary, and he tells them there will be a great feast coming. And when they finally enter it, they find darkness. They find the bodies of dwarves everywhere. To which one of them says, this is no mine, it is a tomb. Likewise, the feast at Folly's house is no feast. It is a tomb. It is a collection of dead bodies. Because it is a feast upon sin that leads to death. Some of you this morning, this may be where you are feasting. The stolen water and the secret bread have been your diet, and you have answered the call of folly. It might be some kind of sexual sin that's that's hinted at in Proverbs chapter 9. It might be pride that we see in Proverbs chapter 9. But it could also be something as as innocent, if you will, as gossip, as discontentment, as a, a, a lie here. The list of sinful fare is endless. Whatever it is, rest assured, it will lead to death. Sin naturally and always will lead to death. Leave the house of folly. Run into the house of wisdom. Find the fare that she provides, the fare that can nourish, that can heal. You will gain wisdom that you need to keep away from folly, from death. It is not an overstatement. The place you choose to feast will either be a place of life, a place of joy, or a place of death and a place of sorrow. Coming back to our our opening illustration of Hobbiton and the feast at the Green Dragon. If you do have some extra time and money to spare and you want to feast like a hobbit, go there. And then report to me, tell me how it is. I would love to know if it's worth the time and the energy. Um, it, It could be on my bucket list. I'm still working on it as we speak. But the truth is this morning, all of us have been invited to an exceptional feast. It boasts of the richest food, the most pleasant of drink, the wonderful company of wisdom herself. It's satisfying and it's free. It is a feast in the house of wisdom where righteousness and truth are found. But we've also been invited to another feast. It boasts of the food of the sinful nature, the food of the flesh. It's sickening, it's destruction, its cost is high. It's not worth it, it's not worth the trade. It is the feast in the house of folly where wickedness and death are found. 
and the host of both are inviting us to come and to dine with us. They are inviting us into a relationship, an intimate relationship with him. So where will you choose to feast? At the house of wisdom, the house of life, or the house of folly in the house of death? Let us pray. Father God, we, we confess before you that all of us here have, have feasted in the house of folly at different times, maybe even this morning. God, we, we are prone to folly. We are prone to wander. As the, as the hymn says, we can feel it. God, would you draw us back to wisdom? Would you draw us back to yourself? May we hear your plea to have us come and to delight in the rich fare that you provide. Would we eagerly and joyfully accept your invitation and run to you? Would you forgive us? And we thank you that we know we have forgiveness in Christ. Lead us in all wisdom. Lead us in all truth. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.